Storytelling is an ancient art form. Long before we learned to read or write, storytellers kept alive the history and legends of our tribe or community. They told the myths of our origins. They told of the great deeds done by our forebears, and in some cases they told of gods and mystical beings and how they interacted with human beings. Just think of some of the Viking sagas or that old English epic poem Beowulf. The tradition faded in more modern times, in some cases kept alive in Scotland, only in the rural and travelling communities. However, storytelling has enjoyed something of a revival in recent years. The annual Storytelling Festival in Edinburgh is part of that. There's also a storytelling group here in Portobello, as we heard in an episode in March last year. The founder of that group, Anne Dignan, has brought together a group of six female storytellers from around the country for next weekend's Tales of the Gallus Women, so I brought her and two of her colleagues, Rona Barber and Elaine Robertson, together on Zoom to find out more. And I started by asking Anne about the event and more of these gallus women they'd be telling us about. It's based on the fact that we put on this show or a similar show as part of the Audacious Women Festival. And that's where I first got the idea of well, gallus women, women that have made their mark on society, both fictitiously or in reality. Now, one of the stories you're telling is very much about someone who made an impact in reality. My story is about a woman who lived 202 years ago, and she helped to affect change in legislation for the crofters up in the Highlands and Islands. What was her name? Mary MacDonald, but she's known colloquially in Gaelic as Mary Vornanoran, Great Mary of the Stories. She was very influential amongst the liberal politicians of the day, and they put forward the Crofters Holding Act, but she helped to drum up support for the crofters and their plight during the second wave of the Highland Clearances. This gave the crofters right of tenure, so they could not be just evicted at the Laird's whim. Now, that's important because someone like me has actually never heard of this particular woman, so getting her story out is really important. Her story is very well known in the Gaelic community. And as a matter of fact, there are various choirs named after her to this day. There's an awful lot of things about the Gaelic community which weren't widely known in the English-speaking community. But many people English speaker, who are English speakers as a first language haven't heard of her. That's why I chose that tale to tell. The stories, as you'll see when you speak to my colleagues here, are all very varied. They all deliver strong messages of one sort or another. Rona Barber, can I move to you, please, because you come from an interesting background. My parents were both blind, so my childhood was different from the norm. Of course, you don't know that at the time when you're a child. You think yours is the same as everybody else. Essentially, you grew up in a storytelling environment. Yes, very much so. My dad was adamant that we would all have a good education because he didn't get a normal mainstream education. Both he and my mother went to St. Vincent's School for the Blind in Glasgow. It was not about academics. It was all about learning to do things with their hands. My dad became a cobbler, which people find fascinating that a blind man could cobble shoes, but he did, and he did it well. And my mum could knit an iron sweater without a pattern. She could just do it in her head. And even if the changing of a size from a child's jumper to an adult jumper, she could knit that jumper. That used to fascinate me, never met anybody else because, you know, she couldn't read a pattern. My mum never learned to read or write Braille, which was quite a sad thing because I knew she envied the fact that my dad could do all of that. 
But my dad's life was quite fascinating in itself because he was a champion chess player and he used to play chess by post. Because back in the days when I was a child, back in the 19, early 1950s, you know, we would take it in turn to write the move from my dad, his chess move, and then it would get posted to Mr. McDonald up in Aberdeen, who would then make his move and send it back. And a game of chess could last for six months, you know, or a year sometimes. So which story have you chosen? Yeah, I think I'm going to tell the story about Margaret Hamilton. Her claim to fame basically was that the Apollo 13 mission would never have gone ahead had it not been for her. She wrote a code that allowed them to decide whether or not to abort the takeoff and she wasn't allowed to use it, but she kept it anyway. And it's just as well she did because they had problems. And if it hadn't been for her, it would never have gone ahead. So that's the story that I'm going to tell is about Margaret Hamilton herself and how unusual it was back in that time for a woman to be in that position. And again, as I said to Anne, it's somebody that we haven't really heard about. I hadn't heard about her until I started to look at interesting women from history that hadn't really become out there in the open, if you like. So you're right, David, nobody knows about these people and they really should, yeah. Elaine Robertson, what about your own background? How long have you been storytelling? I've been storytelling for quite a number of years now. I also did it in my job in the library. I used to do the children's stories initially from books, and then I did the apprentice scheme with the Storytelling Centre, and that took the stories off the page and right into the imagination, mind to mind and heart to heart. It's a very different approach, isn't it? It is very different. A lot of people don't quite understand that you've taken it from the page, you're not reading it from a book. A lot of people say, oh, so you're going to read out to people? No, it's an engagement yourself with the audience and making that connection. So it's a performance very much. Very much so, yes. Uh The story depends on your audience because sometimes if you're not getting the engagement with the audience, you have to make your story take a different turn and engage the audience in it. So you're you're always watching and monitoring how people are receiving the story. If you can see them getting fidgety, then you know that you've got to employ something that draws them back into the story, like what would you have done in this situation if you'd find this happening to you? How would you have felt? How would you have dealt with it? And then you get the audience shouting out responses. So you then take the story that way. It's a two-way process. So what about the stories that you're going to be telling The story that I'm going to be telling is from the locality where I was born. We stayed in Mayfield and there is a a place called Camp Meg. And it is a Roman camp, but it was also a place where Margaret Hawthorne retreated to. She was quite reclusive, but then integrated with the society she was in, the farming society, because that's what it was all about then. And she had many innovations in veterinary practices. Luckily, When she was living, it was just outside when witches were being tried. She just missed it, which was lucky, because she would have been classed as a witch because she used potions and she used different methods. And any clever women at that time were regarded as witches, any healers or anything like that. She was quite a colourful character because she dressed as a man. But that would have been quite disgraceful as well. Sounds a bit like Gentleman Jack, doesn't it? Yes, quite like that story. But uh, her story was a bit more tragic because she lost her husband and she lost, well, she thought she'd lost her son. 
but there was a reconciliation, but she never went back to her old life, her privileged life that she had had before. That was taken away from her by circumstances. So uh, she had a pretty tough life and she made the best of it. And she managed to make a living on her own, through her own endeavours. And that was also quite unusual then too at that time. It was around about 1901. And she's remembered by a local minister who got everybody's stories of her and put them together in a book. And it's only a sort of extract from that that I'm telling a story about. And Dignity, I'm going to go back to you finally, because what we've heard so far is really about some of the forgotten women whose stories really desperately need to be told. Absolutely. These are tales that need to be told so that people can see the richness of the heritage of women throughout centuries and just the indelible mark that they've left from society, both past and present. And I just wanted to add that, you know, I wasn't brought up in the remarkable household that Rona was, but as you know, I'm visually impaired myself, so I don't access stories in the same way. People read them to me or I have to put them under a magnifier, but it's so important to be able to continue with the revival of the oral tradition because it's the only way that we can learn about our history question the teller about it as Elaine says you can have an interaction with the audience and also just to um, encourage further development of this art and to write your own stories as well because all of us here this evening we've written our own work as well and I've always wanted to bring this show to Portobello so it's just great that it's now going to happen. The evening's tales start at 6.30 in the small hall at Belfield and will run for a couple of hours. The other storytellers on the night are Emily Barr, Beverly Casepo and Linda Pertala, all Gallus women in their own right. And that's it for another week. Next week we'll be hearing about a fundraising drive for the town hall, how well the community is coming together behind the project as it grows closer to becoming a reality, and indeed what that reality will mean for the people of Portobello. As usual, you can come up with your own ideas for future episodes of the podcast by contacting us either on social media or by email to theportypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy your week.